Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee, and it is uh, my wonderful privilege to be able to welcome you all, whether you are here in person or worshiping on the live stream, we are thrilled that you have chosen to join with us in worship this morning. If you are a first-time visitor, we hope you got the uh, visitor's bag, giving us a little giving you all a little bit of information about us, a letter as to who we are. Plus, I love the tumblers. Aren't they awesome? Carry them You carry them around, you can, what do they say? Represent. You can represent Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church when you're out in the community. You know, bring that out and people say, huh, what's LOPC? Let me tell you a little bit about us and you can go from there. We're glad you're here. If everyone would fill out on the end of the row, you'll find a friendship pad. That, whether you are visiting, uh, a regular attender, long-time member, I'd like to say if you're breathing, we invite you to fill that out, lets us know that you are here. A couple of announcements as we enter into worship this morning. This week is our National Day of Prayer. It's on Thursday, May 5th, and our sister church, Grace Fellowship, up in Greensboro, is hosting a community-wide National Day of Prayer service at noon, so feel free to uh, attend that. If you can, we encourage that as much as possible. You also see different things going on in the ways of Bible studies and the bookbinders group that will be meeting again on May 20th. Our mobile app, it's called Realm Connect, helps you stay connected, church directory, you can do a bunch of stuff, even giving online. You can do that. Contact Yvonne if you have any questions and want to get set up in terms of that. You know, when I was praying about accepting the call and coming here, one of the things that excited me the most about Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church was the church's commitment to reach out, to be active in our community. I happen to think that that is an absolutely tremendous thing that we aspire to serve the community. And one of the things, one of the areas we do that is our scholarship committee and our scholarship team. And so, Valerie Hunt, I'm going to ask you and I don't want, you don't want me just speaking for a while. I'm going to turn it over to you right now with our scholarship recognition this morning. And I'm going to take a seat down here so I can see what you guys are doing. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, as he said, my name is Valerie Hunt. And I am the chairman of the Dr. Ellen Coffin Utley Scholarship Fund Committee here at LOPC. And I'd like to introduce our other member, uh, committee members over here with me. We have Steve Larson, Rush Utley, and Mark Lott. We also have Marianne Johnson and um, Mardell Cole that are on our committee, but they're both out of town. <clears throat> Many of you may never have met Ellen Utley. You see her smiling face up here. 
She had a doctorate in educational administration and served as principals and superintendents in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Augusta, Georgia. She and her husband, Rush, joined LOPC in 1999. Ellen passed away in September of 2019, and our committee requested the elders to rename our scholarship fund in her memory in spring of 2020. Ellen was sweet and caring, hardworking, and devoted to her church and the Lord. She volunteered in her community and valued education. These are the attributes we look for in our scholarship recipients. And parents, you should be very proud of your children. Uh, they all had good grades, outside activities, polite manners, and exemplified their faith. One of our committee members said at the interviews that he didn't have this deep of a faith when he was a teenager. <laughs> and I want y'all to think about this for a minute. Almost two and a half years of the four years these students have been in high school have dealt with a pandemic. Despite the hardship of online school and masks, these young people excelled and made the most of the situation. We are happy to award seven scholarships this year to local students. Since 2016, we have awarded, awarded 31 scholarships to high school seniors in Greene and Putnam counties, which include all five high schools <laughs> and two homeschool students. Our scholarship fund is a designated fund. We're on the envelope. Uh, and we would like to thank those of you who have contributed to our fund, which helped us slightly exceed our matching fund goal. Uh, you have helped us fund these scholarships for these young people. Our committee feels this is a wonderful community outreach program, just like Jeff said. It shows the students and their families that we, as a body of Christ, care about them and their future. When we also, this is not the last time we'll come in contact with these students. We do reach out to them during their college years. If y'all remember our presentation last November, we showed y'all where they were, what they were doing these days. Our first recipient is Allie Blythe, and Allie was supposed to be here, so <laughs> anyway, we'll talk about Allie. She is the daughter of Jennifer and Damon Blythe and lives in Greensboro. She is a senior at Lake Oconee Academy and attends Lake Oconee Church. She plans to attend the University of Georgia in the fall and major in sports management. She would like to work for a sports organization like a college or pro team in the sports management department. She has been involved with the golf team, FBLA, Beta Club, National Honor Society, but her love has been cheerleading. She has been a cheerleader for LOA and is on the Marietta Stingray All-Stars Competitive Cheerleading Squad. She has won several awards for her cheerleading ability, including the GHSA Cheerleader of the Year for the Georgia Cheerleading Coaches Association. One of Allie's references letters said, quote, from the outside looking in, Allie appears to be a superhuman. How can someone so athletic, busy and kind, also be such a strong and successful student academically? It truly shows Allie's commitment to excellence. Our next recipient is Garrick Embry.
Garrick is the son of Terry and Jan Emery and lives in Eatonton. He is a senior at Gateway Schools and attends Lake Point Church. Garrick plans to attend the University of Georgia in the fall and major in marketing. He hopes to learn the keys of entrepreneurship and someday start his own business. Garrick played on Gatewood State Championship football team and was a wrestling region champ and track region and state champion. He is a member of the National Honor Society, a President's Awards recipient, and was selected to the Hugh O'Brien Leadership Foundation. Garrick has a long list of work experience. Last fall, Garrick broke his neck during a football game. I want you to hear what his high school counselor said about this, quote, Garrick was extremely lucky that it didn't paralyze him because it was very close to that. Instead of being upset with, upset with missing his, out on his senior year of football and other sports, he was praising to Jesus that he was very fortunate. The counselor continued, quote, Garrick said, I was very lucky, and instead of being upset, I am just so thankful that I am still here today. Thank you, Garrick. I want you to listen to some of these quotes. You will see the faith in, these, in the quotes that, that their teachers or counselors have said about them. Our next recipient is Raven Hutchison, who could not be here today. Raven is the daughter of Seneca and Angela Hutchison and lives in Greensboro. She is a, she is a senior at Green County High School and attends Hill Chapel, Chapel Baptist Church. Raven plans to attend Augusta University in the fall a major in business administration. She wants to attend law school to become a lawyer and have her own law firm. Raven has done a lot of research on this career by talking to various lawyers and her career coach at high school. Raven has been a cheerleader and participated in junior ROTC color guard. She is also a member of DECA, FFA, and Youth Leadership Green. Raven's career coach said, quote, whether working on a service project or questioning a local attorney about a career in law, Raven is mature, respectful, and focused. I am excited to see how her college and career path unfolds, given her desire to help those less fortunate through the practice of law, end quote. Our next recipient is Ariana Long. Ariana is the daughter of Audrey Lawrence and lives in Greensboro. She is a senior at Lake Oconee Academy and attends Greenville Baptist Church. Ariana plans to attend Georgia Gwinnett College in the fall and major in cinema and media in the entertainment industries studies. She wants to become a music producer and start her own record label to help other aspiring musicians. Ariana participates in many music-related organizations at LOA. She's in the high school jazz band, LOA Band of Titans, and the pep and marching band. Her instrument of choice is the trombone, Harold. <laughs> Harold plays the trombone also. And also plays the snare drum and the piano. And Amy was her piano teacher. She has performed at Southland Jubilee, local churches, and other local music events, and was awarded the Band Achievement Award, Band Musicianship Award, and Tri-M Music Honor Society. 
Ariana has also participated in Youth Leadership Green, the Robotics Club, and Beta Club. One reference letter said, quote, she is talented, reliable, and conscientious and will always represent her college and community with honesty, integrity, and professionalism. Thank you, Ariana. Our next recipient is Taylor Merritt. Taylor is the daughter of Terry and Jarvis Merritt and lives in Greensboro. She is a senior at Lake Oconee Academy and attends Hill Chapel Baptist Church. Taylor plans to attend Georgia College and State University in the fall and major in nursing. She plans to pursue a career as a nurse practitioner. She has a desire to help people improve their way of life, especially in the area of medicine. Taylor has been a cheerleader, played volleyball, and participated in Youth Leadership Green, FBLA, Beta Club, and Thespians International Honor Society. She has also worked at Pizza Hut. Taylor states, quote, faith has been gifted to me by God and it will remain intact and only grow stronger as I continue to dedicate my life to his word. I aim to help others, treat people right, and grow to be a model for what is right. When Taylor was applying for our college scholarship, she said she looked into the history of the Presbyterian Church. And she wrote, quote, I have learned information and studied its history. I now have an even stronger appreciation for studying things that I may have not done prior to this opportunity. As a result, I want to say thank you for introducing this to me. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. Our next recipient is Evan Randolph. Evan is the son of Scott and Deborah Randolph and lives in Eatonton. He is a senior at Gatewood Schools and attends Lake Oconee Church. Evan plans to attend the University of Georgia in the fall and major in finance, and he and Garrick are going to be roommates. So <laughs> he has been on the football team, track, and wrestling team on which he played, placed third finisher during his junior year. He's also been on the yearbook staff and in the anchor club and student government. Evan served on the Farmers and Merchants Bank Junior Board of Directors and the marketing director stated that Evan helped develop a new ad campaign for the bank. Evan worked two years at Publix starting at the age of 14. He has also worked at Cuscawilla as a card attendant. He currently is the grounds manager at the Lake Oconee Self Storage which was owned by a former member of LOPC, the late Gene Edwards, and his wife Barbara. One of Evan's teachers stated, quote, he is one of the hardest working young men that I have had the privilege of teaching. Diligence and perseverance are two attributes that make Evan a joy to teach. He is a driven young man whose charisma and enthusiasm are infectious. Evan is a paradigm of hard work and dedication. End quote. Thank you, Evan. Our last recipient is Lily Thomas, 
And Lily was sad that she couldn't be here, but she had a school trip planned this weekend, and she chose that over us. I'm going to She is the daughter of Russell and Pam Thomas and lives in Eatonton. She is a senior at Putnam County High School and attends Eatonton Presbyterian Church. She plans to attend the University of Georgia in the fall, where she plans to study international affairs followed by law. She wants to pursue a federal civil service career, and eventually she wants to work in all three branches of the federal government. She is president of her senior class and president of the Anchor Club and Beta Club, where she has served as a national conference delegate. Lily has participated in the 4-H for nine years, which time she has won numerous awards and has served as a 4-H conference Georgia delegate. She has also participated in golf, cheerleading, and cross country. One of her reference letters said, quote, her brilliant academic achievements, her endearing personality and charisma, and her Christian faith and morals help provide her with almost unlimited opportunities. What an outstanding group of young people. Don't y'all agree? It does give us hope for our future. We wish y'all the best of luck in this next journey of college. It's going to be fun. And we say, that may Christ go before you to lead you. May Christ go over you to protect you. May Christ go behind you to push you. May Christ go under you to carry you. May Christ go beside you to hold your hand. May Christ be in you to cleanse you. May Christ be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Now, Pastor Birch is going to close us with prayer. First thing I want to say is I agree with Valerie. Our future is bright. What an encouragement to hear these testimonies. I want to as well extend our heartfelt congratulations, prayers, hopes for your future. They are very, very bright indeed. And I want to thank the team. Valerie, under your leadership and this team, what an awesome job in terms of these testimonies, these students, how encouraging it is to be a part of that. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon their futures as we enter into worship this morning. Most gracious and loving Father, above all things, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for these testimonies that we've heard of these young people and how Jesus is the center of their lives. And as Valerie shared, may Jesus be in them and above them and under them and around them and behind them, pushing them and truly being the center of their lives as they move forward into the future. May they have your blessing and your favor upon them. We ask, Father, that you bless their future studies, their relationships, their friendships, all of the activities they participate in. May they live wholeheartedly to the glory of God. We thank you now for this time as we enter worship and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Prepare our hearts for worship.
Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 47, verses 1 and 2. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Lord, may we enter your presence with joy, thanksgiving, and reverence. May we shout to you with loud songs of joy because of what you have done for us, redeeming us through Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask that you would now grant us your presence, that we may be enabled and empowered to lift high your name, to lift high Christ, that you would draw all people to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand together and sing our opening hymn of praise this morning, Crown Him with Many Crowns. confronted with a sight of the glory and the kingship of God, it strikes us 
to a new knowledge of ourselves. And one of the things we find about ourselves is how far short we all fall. That even as Christians who've been washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ, we struggle. That's why you hear me say over and over again the picture, my favorite picture of the church is that we're a hospital for sinners, a hospital for flawed people. We're not where the strong come in and say, hey, we have our act all together. We're, we are a, to be a place where the weak come in and say, I need help, and we find our help in Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. He's saying that is in the sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody ever felt that way before? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Friends, that shows our need for confession. Let me give you an opportunity to personally confess your sins to God, to do business with God. And then in a few moments, we will pray together a corporate confession of sin. Let us pray. Friends, let us pray together in unison. Eternal and merciful God, you have loved us with a love beyond our understanding, and you have set us on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yet we have strayed from your way. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed through what we have done and what we have left undone. As we remember the lavish gift of your grace, we praise you and give you thanks that you forgive us yet again. Grant us now, we pray, the grace to die daily to sin and to rise daily to new life in Christ, who lives and reigns with you and in whose strong name we pray. Amen. Friends, our assurance of pardon comes from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let us stand together and sing in Christ alone.
Every week I mentioned that one of the goals of worship is that we would sense a greater hope in Christ. How can you not have hope when you, re- when you sing, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand? If Christ has you, you can't lose him, and he won't lose you. I want to say to our young people who will be going off to college, take that with you and be confident. Our hope, our renewal is all in Christ. Let's pray together, saying the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in a pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Father who art in heaven, ruling and reigning, commanding our destiny from the control center that is in heaven, that you have everything under your control, that there is nothing that is chaotic or outside your sovereign will, and that we together as family, as one body in Christ, get to say, Our Father. We look to you to be our nurturer and our protector and our guide, and our shepherd. Yes, you even train us, and you discipline us for our good. You are our Father. And we pray today for those who are suffering affliction, for those who are hurting, that they would have comfort in the knowledge that you command their destiny, that there is no scheme of man, no power of hell that can ever take them from your hand. That, Father, even though they may be feeling pain and they may be feeling hurt, and it may be in a variety of ways, many of us are suffering physical illness. But we also struggle relationally. Some of us are struggling with loneliness. Some of us are struggling with family members that we're concerned about. We're worried and concerned about the things and the events of the the world. Lord, help us to remember you are our Father who is in heaven, ruling and reigning all things from there. We boast in our weakness. We know that it is only your grace that is sufficient for all our needs, and we stand in your grace. Father, we pray for the ministry of the church. As we move forward, we ask, Father, that you would lead and guide us, that we would not fall behind your spirit nor get ahead of your spirit, but we would walk with your spirit, and you would lead and guide us as leaders, as elders, as deacons, as ministry team leaders, as those teaching Sunday school and in men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies and the various outreach teams that we have. Lord, we ask that you would guide us and that we would walk with you. Grant us humility in everything that we do. For yours and yours alone is the kingdom. Yours and yours alone is the power. And yours and yours alone is the glory forever and ever. We pray in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.
join me in prayer. Father, may this sermon bring glory to you. May both me as its deliverer and us as hearers have our hearts, our minds, our ears opened to hear the glories of Christ, to discover Christ, to have Christ be exalted in all that we do. Holy Spirit, we need you to be our teacher. We thank you for the promise that your word is living and active. And we pray that it will be active in our lives now. In Jesus' name, amen. We are looking this morning for a few minutes at Romans, the end of Romans 7, verses 21 through 25. And so I ask you to follow along as we read from the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 25. Paul writes, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because he loves you. It was maybe the third call I had received. Evie and I were living in Oklahoma at the time, and we were kind of praying about our futures, what the, where the Lord might be calling us in ministry. We were thinking about possibly planting a church. It was definitely on our hearts. And we were seeking the Lord as to what is his desire, his will for our lives. And this church in Northern California kept calling, seeking or recruiting me to be not necessarily a church planner. They weren't already in existence, but they were smaller and they were looking for someone to come and kind of revitalize the church. Now, the location is extremely important to the story. Northern California. I asked Evie, and you need to know, Evie and I complement each other very well. I tend to be the kind of person that dives in the pool, and she goes, did you check and see if there were any water, any water in there? Oops. So she's the practical one, and she said, Jeff, this is not a big church that can pay you a lot. We, are, we can't afford it. And I was like, you're right. I completely agree. We were on the same team here. So in no uncertain terms, there was no way we were taking this church. We had no interest. It's just the Lord wasn't calling us. But this man kept calling. And he kept inviting us out. He said, just come out and take a look. What could it hurt to take a look? And I kept saying no, because I didn't want them to spend money needlessly. And I kept saying, we have no interest. We can't afford it. There's basically no shot. We kind of kept dancing this dance, so to speak. And then he dropped this bombshell. He knew I was a golfer. He says to me, I'm good friends with Johnny Miller. Now, do you know who Johnny Miller is? Former, former, I'm going to tell you. Former professional golfer, played on the PGA Tour. I don't know if he used to or still announces golf. He says, come on out, spend some time out here, take a look. And while you were out here, 
we will play Pebble Beach with Johnny Miller. Now, for those of you who don't know, Pebble Beach is probably in there with the top three in terms of, you know, that place to the east that I got to go to a little while ago, Augusta, the old course at St. Andrews, and Pebble Beach. So talk about a moral and ethical dilemma. I knew that there was no chance that we were going out there to work at this church. Too expensive, too far away from family, no water in the pool, the whole thing. And then on the other hand, there's Pebble Beach and Johnny Miller. What is a man to do? So I find it to be a law within, within me that when I want to do right, say no. Evil lies close at hand. Pebble Beach, say no. Pebble Beach. Now, you might be thinking in terms of this story I just told, I could have gone out there. And yes, I could have. I don't think it would have been that bad. But I knew for me, I had this conviction that it would have been wrong. I would have been misleading them. I would have been dishonest. So here's the question. Do we take our depravity within us seriously enough? Are we conscious of the fact of indwelling sin, which still batters, which still impacts every aspect of our being without letting up even for a second? Yes, I did not go to California, and I did not play Pebble Beach, but that is absolutely no credit to me. I only say that to say that whenever we do right, it is not so much our doing as it is the grace of God. Paul is summarizing, he's kind of putting a bow on this chapter of chapter 7, where he's been talking about our relationship to the law. To put it in context, this entire section of Romans chapter 5 to 8 is all about the gospel as a new exodus. You're set free from the Egypt of sin and death and hell and tyranny. You're set free, but then... Romans chapter 7, where do, you, where do you lie? You lie before, so to speak, Mount Sinai and the whole issue of the law. Before and next week we'll get to Romans chapter 8, where we are heading on to the promised land, our inheritance as led by the Spirit. Paul is kind of putting a bow on this chapter and he's summarizing it, saying, for I find it to be a law, not referring there specifically to the law of Moses. He says, I find it to be a principle a norm, a reality. Every time I want to do right, there's evil, kind of like a shadow, except the shadow's actually inside of me, lying close at hand. And boy, oh boy, do I always find that. How about you? So as Paul finishes, he concludes his teaching by stating two truths, two discoveries, two realities, that he wants us to know and embrace through this passage. And I'm going to put them in the form of two questions. First of all, what did Paul find? And second of all, what did Paul conclude? What did he find and what did he conclude? Look with me at verse 21. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, members means my tongue, I want to say the right thing. My hands, I want to do the right thing. I want to serve. I want to be other-oriented, but I find I'm selfish. 
I see in my members another law, another force, another power, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul begins, I find it to be a law. I find, I discover, I come to realize about myself. Remember, Paul is speaking autobiographically here. He's sharing his experience. The experience, what I believe, is the experience of a growing Christian. A growing Christian struggles. As a matter of fact, one of the principles, one of the lessons from this passage is the struggling can be evidence of your relationship with Christ. If all you experience is apathy and everything's fine and everything's great and there isn't a struggle, an internal struggle, are there signs of life? Because sin is waging war. What does he mean by this? He means it is a force or a power. A force or a power that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Let me ask you this question. Are you aware of that within yourself? Or are you completely sure of yourself? You walk around with a complete certainty. You're certain of your actions. You're certain of your motives. You're certain of the drives. I think again, and I've said this throughout chapter 7, Paul is expressing here an incredible humility. Maybe we need to examine our level of humility. Jesus did say, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I think this is a good application of that here in Paul's teaching. Now, in verse 22, he does refer to the law of Moses because he says he delights in the law of God in his inner being, in his inmost being. That means he loves the word of God. In his, his truest identity, his truest self, his truest spirituality, his truest psychology, he goes, I love the law of God. Yet, there's this warfare, there's this struggle, there's this battle. Tim Keller sums it up very well. He says, Paul's truest self, his true identity, who he is, he delights in, he finds satisfaction in, his completion is, his joy in, his meaning and purpose and significance and acceptance and approval in Jesus Christ. That is the real him. But then he goes on to say, he goes on to say, but the Christian still has this powerful center of remaining sin within. Verse 18, it's called a sinful nature. It's called the flesh. Flesh doesn't mean physicality. It means the sinful part of us that's within us. It's a part of his nature or heart that seeks what I hate. This means that in himself he cannot fulfill the law. Thus he is saying, in myself I'm still unable to live as I should. Even though there's a new identification, a new love and delight in the law of God, a Christian is still completely incapable of keeping the law himself in his own strength. We are powerless to save ourselves. Every single one of us are looking for meaning, and significance, and security, and these are things that we need. We need purpose in life. We need significance in life. We need these things. We were built to have these things. 
We were built to have them in Christ now. And here's what sin is. We are looking to build an identity on anything other than Jesus. That will be a temptation you all will face as you move forward and go to college and begin your independence. You will look to build your identity on studies and career or family or success. Friends, that will defeat us. It will defeat us every time because we were built to have our identity and our life in Christ alone. So Paul says, this is what I discover. This is what I find. This is what I see. This is the reality I see. Based on that, what does he conclude? Verse 24, he makes two conclusions. The first one, not so nice. The second one, the one you want me to leave you with. Verse 24, his first conclusion, wretched man that I am. Now think about this and think honestly. Are you thinking to yourself, that's a little drastic? Paul, did you have a, a rough childhood? Mom and dad didn't love you real well? Poor self-image there or something? Something going on there? Do you need to see a counselor or something like that? Maybe a good therapist will help you out? No. Paul has an accurate self-knowledge in the way of contrasting himself and comparing himself with the standard that the Lord requires of him. You know I refer to this text all the time. It's kind of a seminal text for me. Isaiah chapter 6. I think Paul is doing much like what Isaiah did back then. He is dying to himself, pronouncing a curse on himself. Wretched man that I am is similar to him saying, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. Friends, seeing the law, and that's what Paul has done. He's seen the law for what it is, is like seeing the Lord, seeing the king. Because when you see the law for what it is, you see the beauty and the majesty and the excellence and the values and the vision. You see the heart and the standard of God. The law of God is what is most beautiful. The problem is it can't save us. So Paul sees it and he says, cursed is me, woe is me. I'm at the end of myself. What am I going to do? See, and it begs the question, have you seen the law? Have you truly seen God? Have you seen his standard? Have you seen what he requires of you? Micah 6.8, what, O oh man, does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? Which of us does that for one second? Or as Jesus put it, the greatest of these is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's be honest, we're not doing that for even... If I said... Okay, test, here we go. Let me count to one and see how many of us can love God with all our mind, soul, heart, and strength. For just once, ready, go. Who thought about lunch? Who thought about what sports are on this afternoon? 
We don't have, the law is beautiful because it reflects the heart of God. We're unable to keep it. And so Paul's conclusion is a true conclusion. Woe is me, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me? Who will deliver me? He's like a man drowning in a swimming pool. Think about this. I think I heard Tim Keller say this. If you're a man drowning in a swimming pool, do you need a manual teaching you how to swim? Will that help you? Hey, I'm drowning. I'm going under. Thank you. I appreciate the manual. You need someone to do what? Dive into the pool, put you over their shoulders, and rescue you. And that's Paul's second conclusion. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jack Miller in his book, Repentance and 20th Century Man, writes, the truly repentant sinner has discovered through the renewing work of the Holy Spirit that all his doing is full of sin. And what does he do in repentance? He turns and he trusts in what Christ has done. This is the essence of repentance. See, Paul is teaching the gospel here, and when the gospel confronts us, when we are gripped by the gospel, we do discover that all our doing is full of sin. And we struggle with that. That's why it sounds drastic to us, because we want to be in control. The essence of sin is building our identity on something other than Christ. Doesn't have to be a bad thing. Doesn't mean we're going out and committing all immoral acts. It means you're building your life on something other than Christ. That's why we may be willing to admit we're sinners to a degree, but to come undone, uh, Jeff, you're pushing it a little bit. That's too much. But we need to understand there's no escaping it. Jesus says, whoever wants to find his life must lose his life. And when you do that, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What does Jesus give us? How does he deliver us? How does he rescue us? Well, think about our salvation and what Paul has been teaching. In Romans 5 to 8, Paul has been teaching that with the promise of the gospel comes the promise of our full and final salvation. And nothing, not our flaws, not our mistakes, not our regrets, not our selfishness, not the law, not death, nothing can ever prevent our final salvation. Like he will say in chapter 8, here's where we're going, he will say nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No scheme of man, no power of hell can ever pluck me from his hand. Jesus delivers us by breathing new life into us. It's called regeneration. He makes us new creations. He gives us new life. We receive actual new life. He justifies us. He declares us not only forgiven, but just as beautiful, just as gorgeous to him as Jesus is. Can you imagine the humble confidence we would have if we really believed Jesus was our righteousness, not our success, not our health, not how our family is doing, but Jesus is our righteousness. He also gives us the personal. He adopts us into his family. He gives us his spirit. 
He sanctifies us. He restores us in his image. He makes us more human. And finally, he will glorify us. We have the hope of the resurrection, the new world, the new heavens, and the new earth. He gives us. This is all involved in the rescue and deliverance. What a gospel. What a salvation. We should never reduce or truncate the gospel. Now, let me close trying to be practical with a couple of lessons in terms of this. How do we apply some of what we've been learning in Romans chapter 7? Let me read a couple of quotes. First of all, Tim Keller says, first, this passage warns us that no one gets so advanced that they don't struggle with sin. Let me read that again. No one gets so advanced that they don't struggle with sin. It is quite important to expect a fight with our sinful nature. In fact, just as a wounded bear is more dangerous than a healthy and happy bear, our sinful natures might become more stirred up and active because the new birth has mortally wounded it. That is so important. The more mature you get in the faith, the more you grow, the more you advance, the harder the struggle's going to seem. The worse you might appear to you. You know, I sit there, I don't want to announce my age. I don't like that. But I've been a Christian now for 42 years. And I go, you think I would be a little less selfish after 42 years? No. I just see my selfishness all the more clearer. When I want to do right, there's that selfishness hanging around. Do you know what that means in terms of our practical relationships? The church, if we're this hospital for flawed people, no one is so advanced. No one is so mature. No one is so, no one has their PhD in sanctification that they don't struggle with sin. We ought to be the most accepting, the most loving, the most compassionate, the most understanding of all people. Because we understand what somebody struggles with, we may not have the same struggle, but we have some struggle. I may not struggle with what you struggle with, but I struggle with something. That doesn't mean we approve of everything. I'm not going soft on truth. I'm just going part of the truth is what a wretched man I am. I ought to understand what a wretched person you are. Our only hope together is Jesus Christ. So we ought to be the most loving and understanding and compassionate of all people because we are co-sufferers, co-strugglers together. Jesus understands it's only his body, his church, that struggles with understanding. No one gets so advanced that they don't struggle with sin. J.C. Ryle, who's a tremendous theologian, put it this way. Here's the second quote. He said, true Christianity is a fight. Do we find in our heart a spiritual struggle? Do we feel anything of the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that we cannot do the things we would? Are we conscious of two principles within us contending for the mastery? Do we feel anything of war in our inward man? He says, well, let us thank God for it. It is a good sign. It is strongly probable evidence of the great work of sanctification. All true saints are soldiers. Anything is better than apathy, stagnation, deadness, and indifference. 
we are in a better state than many. The most part of so-called Christians have no feeling at all. I say again, let us take comfort. The children of God have two great marks. They may be known by their inward warfare as well as by their inward peace. Friends, take hope. Your hope is in Christ. There's a pastor in Birmingham. His name's Bob Flayhart. I'm just going to leave you with this as a visual. He's the pastor of Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church. And he puts it this way. He says, I want you to picture the Christian life as a gospel waltz. He says, picture it as a dance. And he says, what is the waltz? The waltz is going one, two, three, one, two, three. You're dancing. He says, that's what the gospel is. You repent. You turn. What a wretched man I am. You turn from your sin. You admit, you acknowledge, you embrace. I cannot save myself. I cannot build my life, my identity on anything other than Jesus. I turn from those efforts. I die to those efforts. That's the one. That's repentance. Faith. I believe. I believe. Jesus Christ forgave me. Jesus Christ justified me. I'm legally justified. I am forgiven as far as the east is from the west. I'm declared righteous in him. His image is being renewed in me. I have new life. I have the spirit within me. I believe. And then the three of the gospel walls, one, two, three, one, two, three, is fight. And you know what you fight to do? I fight against my vices. I fight against my sin. I fight to believe. I fight. I ask my friends, we do the gospel waltz together. Repent, believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. That's what the Christian life is. You don't advance above that. You don't get to deeper truths. That's the deeper truth. None of us have advanced that we've gone beyond repent, believe, and fight. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is not in any other program, any other organization, any other institution. Our hope is in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this teaching from the Apostle Paul, this word, where he says, I discovered some things. I found this force, this principle in my life that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. The good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, that's what I do. There's nothing good that dwells within me. That is in my flesh. That's why flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And based on these discoveries, I conclude something. What a wretched man I am. I can't save myself. But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus dove into the pool of sin on my behalf. He dove and he picked me up over his shoulder and he delivered me and he rescued me and he carries me and no scheme of man, no power of hell will ever pluck me from his hand. Lord, may we be a people that does the gospel waltz together, that we repent, that we believe, and that we fight. We fight for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close our service standing and singing the great hymn of the faith, Amazing Grace.
Friends, now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.